welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF Woof Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me again today. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday and you're going to want to check them out. You can also follow me on Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. And if the visual thing, well, that's more your thing, you can head on over to youtube.com slash speakadogcast and subscribe to my page today. And if you want to support the show even further, you can become a patron of the show today at patreon.com slash speakadogcast. And of course, guys, if you love what you're hearing, do me a favor, scroll on down, click that five-star rating or leave me a review, give me the thumbs up on YouTube. I would really appreciate it. Now, on today's show, we have puppy class. We're going back to some basics with our puppy training, going to talk that housebreaking, and of course, a few more more things on how to create a well-rounded puppy. Then comes time to reflect because it is. It's time to reflect a little bit about our own dogs and uh, what our influence is on them. Then comes the history of animal mascots 101, followed by the listener Q&A. And if you have questions for the listener Q&A, you can keep sending them my way. Email me questions at speakadogcast.com or message me on social media. Now, before we get going with today's show, I have to give you that trivia question. And today's question is going to be, What animal has the largest eyes? Yes, what animal has the largest eyes? I will give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's podcast, so be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the show. Next on Speaking Dogcast, it's puppy class. Time to go back to school, different back to school than... Uh, well, a couple weeks. Um, <laughs> no, different thing. We got to go back to school about puppies. It's always good to have a refresher. Um, you know, I've met some people that have said that, hey, you know, it's it's been 12, 14 years since we've had a puppy. We're at a different point in our lives when we had that puppy. I just need a refresher on the information. I, You know, it's been so long that I almost don't even remember what to do. Uh, it, it's true. You know, you kind of you kind of get used to having such a nice, docile old dog, and then all of a sudden... And we love it, like, right, we love it. But this ball of energy comes into our house and they can be destructive, they can be time consuming, they can be soul draining. (laughs) So it's important to know how to get off on a good foot with your puppy, how to do the right things and to avoid doing the wrong things. Uh, We're definitely gonna talk about the do's and don'ts, the right and wrong things to do because it's just the truth of it. It takes putting in the right time, the right information, right? Not just the time, but the information uh, to create to create a well-rounded, healthy, happy dog. Isn't that what we all want? Isn't that what all of our goals are? And, you know, while a lot can be, well, lack of a better way to say it, screwed up <laughs> in the first few months of a dog's life, the wonderful thing about puppies is they're malleable. You know, dogs in general tend to be more malleable and more easy to change than like a human, but especially puppies, when we get to that year and under mark, year and a half, yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, But year and under, especially that 12 month period is crucial. It's crucial to creating a good dog. And if you did make some mistakes, it's not the end of the world. Like that's just it, 12 months or less, it's really easy to start to undo some of these things. Um, But once again, you have to have the right information. So let's talk about some of that information today. So. You know, when you're getting a puppy, obviously it could be 10 weeks old, eight weeks old. It could be a couple months old. So that's going to vary in where you're going to start. But we're just going to kind of start assuming that we have a young puppy, right? A young puppy, we've got to start off with them, what we do uh, from the start. So, you know, the first question is always going to be housebreaking. Nobody wants a dog being a pooping in their house. And look, housebreaking, honestly, people overcomplicate it. 
that's the short answer of, of like the, the what not to don't overcomplicate it. That's what I don't want you to do when it comes to housebreaking. I want to follow my mantra of K-I-S-S, keep it simple, stupid, not my mantra, but my mantra when it comes to training uh, is keeping it simplistic. Don't overcomplicate it. I really think you need to avoid using pee pads. I think, come on, that's my professional opinion. You need to avoid using pee pads. There are very few circumstances that a pee pad is going to be warranted. And most of the time that pee pad is going to actually create more confusion. Look at it this way. If we're adding in another variable, other than getting the dog to pee outside, like if I'm adding in a pee pad, if I'm adding in a bell, if I'm adding in all these things, think about it. Not only are we trying to teach our dog to actually go outside, we're not teaching our dog to ring a bell or go on the pee pad first. Or you're teaching an extra step that's unnecessary and can make things more complicated. And in doing so, you can actually confuse your dog. Or worse, like with the bell, it's how, you know, if people put a bell by the door and have the dog ring the bell when they need to go out. Your dog might start to learn, well, every time I ring this bell, I get to go out. Whether I got to pee or not, I get to go outside. Sweet, let's keep doing it. Okay, so... It's not that it can't be trained. It's not that it can't be done. It's that why overcomplicate things when you don't have to? So again, when it comes to housebreaking, the first thing I want you to remember is keep it simple. If you need to add this extra tool, a variable, whatever you want to call it, it's not necessary and we don't need to do it. Okay, look, when we're talking about housebreaking and pee training, there's, there's a handful of tools we need. You ready? We need a crate. Yes. We need a crate. We need treats. Maybe a treat pouch. This scenario may not necessarily call for a treat pouch, but... Treats and treat pouch, why not? They, they, they go together. Uh, it's like peanut butter and jelly. Um, <laughs> right? Crate, treats and treat pouch. Leash and collar. Yeah, you heard me right. Housebreaking requires a leash and collar. People don't even think about like leashing up their dog if their dog doesn't go to the bathroom. They just keep letting them roam the house. And it's like, dude, your dog's going to pee at some point. And if you don't have control over it, you're not creating containment. What do you think is going to happen? Not to mention once we get outside. So leash and collar are very important for housebreaking your puppy, okay? So we've talked about the crate, we've talked about leash and collar, we've talked about uh, treats in a treat pouch. How about a proper cleanup tool? <laughs> okay, this is really important. Let's not neglect this because the problem is our dogs have really good noses and if they can still smell, which they can if we don't use a proper cleaner, if they can still smell the urine, feces, if they can still smell it in your home, they are a lot more likely to want to go and rinse and repeat in that spot. Okay, so make sure we're using a proper cleaner. You can always ask the people at the pet store, but my favorite cleaner is Nature's Miracle. It's good stuff. Uh, it has the enzymes to break down, or it has the chemicals to break down the enzymes in the urine, get rid of that smell, get rid of the scent, and definitely lessen the likelihood that your dog is going to want to go back to that spot. It's a really important step that I think people skip over. Uh, they just Windex it or Clorox it or whatever. Um, I, look, guys, I don't care, carpet or not. Like people go, well, I have. Um, you know, I've got the laminate for floors. Well, that's nice, but you might be surprised how much of that urine scent sticks around. You may not be able to smell it at all. All you smell is the clean pine fresh, whatever you've used, but your dog smells beyond that. So very, 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 very important for housebreaking to make sure that you have the proper cleaners. All right. Um, really, that's it. Those are all the tools we need, guys. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. Okay. Crate. It's obvious why we need a crate if we're leaving the house, if it's uh, time to go to bed. We need to have some form of containment, some form of boundary, so our dog can't just go and pee. It's pretty obvious. Shouldn't have to explain it more than that. Um, not to mention, hey, let's say we took our dog out, but puppy didn't go to the bathroom. I'm going to bring them back in the house, but I know I'm like I'm cooking or I'm, I'm, I'm doing a project or I'm working at my computer. Whatever the case may be, you know you can't keep a close eye on your puppy 
Puppy's got to go in the crate for 10 or 15 minutes while you do what you need to do, and then you're going to take them out of the crate and take them outside again. We're not going to give them the option to go to the bathroom in the house willy-nilly, if you will, right? So the crate is such a wonderful option to give you that tool to be able to create that containment. So again, at night when we sleep, I know I can hear, oh, but my daughter wants my four-month-old puppy to sleep in bed with it. No, no, like guys, no. They can take a nap on the couch during the day or something, put the leash on, hold on to it so the dog can't hop off. Not with your daughter, go pee. You see what I'm saying? It's all about containment. When it comes down to housebreaking, not only do we have to have these tools, but what it comes down to is controlling when and how they go. Because your dog, your puppy, they don't know. They don't know when they're supposed to go. They don't know how they're supposed to go, where they're supposed to go. It, it, it literally has to be conditioned. Guys, animals don't just know to go outside, right? The problem is our homes are big enough that they can go in a corner, pee, poop, do their business, walk away from it, and it doesn't make a mess to them because it's over there. They're not, they're not having to lie in it. It's not in their food. It's not right? It's not in their bedding. So dogs by natural instinct are not just going to go, oh, I'm going to go outside. You know, it has to be a conditioned behavior. Okay. So uh, food for thought on that, that we have to condition these behaviors and containment is one of the best ways we do it. And you'll notice a couple of our tools are just that, a crate, a leash, and a collar. Those are, those are forms of force and containment uh, that allow us to provide a boundary and show our dog what we want and what we don't want. So that's the whole point of the crate when it comes to housebreaking, okay? Now, next thing is once I do take them out, I need to leash them up. I don't wanna just open the door and let it be a free-for-all. They're gonna get, you know, start sniffing. They're going to get distracted. They're gonna go over here. They're gonna go over there. They're not gonna focus on peeing, right? The leash and collar allow us to do that, allow, them, allow us to actually guide and direct that nose to try to get them to go pee, put a word with it. And then not only that, once they do go pee, we're, we're still right there and I can reward it very quickly. It's very, very important. Treats and treat pouch. This is where this comes in, guys. That's where that comes in, rather. Um, we have to reward it right away. This is why I want to have them leashed up because then they're, they're not going to be able to get away. I can reward that behavior instantaneously. All right. So the second they're done going to the bathroom, boom, treat, reward, strengthening that behavior of going outside. Okay. Very simplistic, right? Very simplistic. Like we already covered though. If they don't go to the bathroom, what do we do? We go back inside and we either leash them up to our side so we can keep an eye on them. We can either contain them with baby gates. So, you know, there's another housebreaking tool. Uh, that one's optional in my opinion, because it's not like you have to have them. Uh, you can always leash your dog up near you. You can always use the crate. Um, but yeah, you, you want to bring them back inside and make sure you're keeping an eye on them. Otherwise at some point they're going to have to go and they're going to go. And that's not what we want. Um, so really, that's what housebreaking comes down to, guys. One other thing we want to consider with housebreaking, timing of eating. Now, look, we're not going to get into the whole feeding time. We did a, a segment on that a couple episodes ago. You can go check it out. But essentially, like uh, feeding time, I, I tell people I have a two-hour window. You know, I don't want to feed my dog at 6 a.m. every single day because then 6 a.m. every single day, my dog is going to be expect uh, going to expect to be fed. And that one day you want to sleep in, it's not going to work so well because your dog goes, hey, like 6 a.m., this is this is how we do this. How do you not know, right? Uh, so that's not going to work. That's why I like a two-hour window. 6 to 8 a.m. is much nicer, isn't it? Um, something like that. But having that consistency, knowing when your dog is eight, how long it's been since they've ate, and that way we know when the poops are going to come. 
that simple, right? Like some, I mean, come on, how many owners out there raise your hand? You have full grown dogs and you're like, dude, I can predict my dog's poops probably because you feed them at about the same time every day. And that's, that's cool. Not almost, you know what I mean? That two hour window. Uh, but keep that in mind when you have a puppy guys, it's all about that. Okay. Uh, same with water. I don't want to just leave a full bowl of water down and letting them go, 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 because dogs, puppies will not puppies, puppies will drink out of boredom. It happens and they'll overfill their bladder to a point they cannot hold it and they will explode. All right. So think about that with how much water they're getting, knowing how much they've had, when they had it, how long it's been, so on and so forth. All right. So that's the house. There's lots of housebreaking at the same time. It's very simplistic and you've just got to keep it basic. Make sure you're using the right tools. Make sure you're giving the right information. And you might be surprised how quickly you can housebreak a dog doing this all correctly. Okay. Some dogs are tougher than others. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, don't get discouraged, guys. Some dogs just do take a little longer and it stinks. I know it's not fun, but it's just kind of the way it goes. But the better you are about this information, faster it's going to be. Okay. So let's talk about expectations, right? If we have an eight week old expect or an eight week old puppy, I can't have the same expectations for this eight week old puppy as like an 18 week old puppy, right? They're going to be in different places. With that said, I think you'd be very shocked <laughs> how much you can train an eight week to 10 week, 12 week, whatever. Eight, let's just say eight to 12, right? That little four week, uh, one month span. You would be shocked how much you can teach an eight to 12 week old dog. I always go back to my buddy Riker. Um, I got him at 11 weeks old and granted it's 11 weeks. It's not eight, 10, but still within two weeks, I mean, this dog knew a sit, a stay, a lie down, a leave it, a drop it. He knew how to walk on leash pretty well. Not perfect. I mean, not by no means perfect, but pretty darn well. Um, he was already getting better socialized. He was doing well in a crib. I mean, just countless things you'd be shocked what you can teach a young dog. And part of it is I do give the extent, uh, the kind of the extended thank you to the rescue that I got him from a second chance puppies and rescue, uh, puppies and kittens rescue down here in, um, West Palm, Loxahatchee, where are they based? They're foster based anyway. Point is, that's just it. Foster based. The woman who had Riker before we adopted him was on this stuff, was crating him from day one, working on the uh, separation anxiety, housebreaking, all these things. And so when I took him over and I continued on those things, it was like easy peasy, man. And that's the point. How young was he with her? Pretty darn young. And look at how much he learned. So don't, don't discount that a young dog can learn a lot. With that said, can an eight week old dog be fully housebroken? Well, hell no. That's an absurd expectation. Um, like guys look up to at least four months. And that's kind of a generalized, like if I, if I had to go like, okay, 10 pound dog to 80 pound dog, right? To that many, well, some dogs are 80 pounds in four months, not many. Uh, but you know, my point is a generalized kind of thought on that is that yeah, four months is about the time I can expect them to generally have somewhat close to full control. We start getting to five to six months. Yeah. We could potentially have a fully house and house broken dog by five to six months without a problem. You'd be shocked. I do discover with puppies, a lot of times the puppies don't succeed. Ready for it? It's because of the owners. Guys, I mean this in the nicest way possible, but get the hell out of your own way when it comes to dog training. Like, get out of your own way. Stop making it complicated. Stop making it this like rocket science thing. Where, oh, it's a slow pie. I don't want to hurt his feelings. I don't, I don't know if he likes this or wants to do that. Or th Guys, it's a dog. They want to do what you want to do. They want to do what you want to do, but if you don't guide them and show them that and show them to follow and take uh, that follow position from your leadership role, they never learn it. And then we get behavioral issues because it's not the way they're wired. So going from this kind of other side, I, I, I try to get people to understand that you have to treat your dog like a dog. 
And that's incredibly right. <laughs> you have to treat your dog like what they are if you're looking to get the result that I know all of you want. I've never, well, I was about to say, I've never met anybody that wants a purposefully bad dog, but there are people who, that's a psychological issue of their own. They want their dog to be bad because they want to be needed. We're not getting into that today. Um, get out of your, but again, same thing with that. Get out of your own way, guys. You want your dog to be better. You want your dog to be happier, healthier, calmer, less anxious, uh, better trained, listen a little more. Get out of your own way. I mean that in the nicest way, Pa. I really do. Get out of your own way. You know, it's funny. That piece of advice, the first, I think the first time I've really heard that piece of advice, like uh, applied to something that I, you know, I do or in, was golf. <laughs> it always goes back to golf with me. Um, I had a, I had a, a, a golf pro who said, in, I, 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 just, you know, I said, hey, you know, what's, what's, what's the secret? What's the secret to golf? And I knew this had to be a ridiculous answer because there is no secret. Um, and that was his response pretty much. He said, there is no secret, David. The secret is to get out of your own way. Golf is a mental game. Like, you know, and, um, and what is training? Training is a mental game for you and your dog. And I mean, relationships too, and with people, you know, think about it, like relationship, it's a, it's a mental exercise. It's a mental exercise in restraint sometimes, <laughs> in, in patience. Uh, you know, it, it's a mental exercise in happiness sometimes. It's, but, and I kind of, I know I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent right now, but it, it, I'm trying to find the poignant way to say, get out of your own way with your puppies, let them be dogs, but understand what that means, right? Understand what it means to be a dog, what it truly means to be a dog. It doesn't mean whining constantly, being anxious. It doesn't mean jumping up on people. It doesn't mean growling and barking at other dogs. It doesn't mean getting overexcited to the point that it loses its mind and cannot physically and mentally control itself. Those are not things that are a healthy behavior from a dog. Like Those are not healthy behaviors being displayed from a dog. They've become the norm. But that's the point, guys. If you get out of your own way and you understand what a dog is, it's amazing how far you can get with your puppy. Don't be afraid to tell them no. Don't be afraid to tell them good boy. Don't be afraid to use treats. Don't be afraid to use corrections. Don't be afraid to use proper collars. Get out of your own way. With that said, let's talk about proper collars for a moment. <laughs> At what age can we use a martingale collar? Look, it, it definitely is going to depend upon the dog, the breed, the size. That has a lot to do with it. It really does. Generally, it is somewhere between 12 and 16 weeks that we can switch our puppies from a regular collar to the martingale collar, right? Um, I, I recommend avoiding constricting collars at a young age. There's really no reason for them when a puppy is that young. Um, it, it's just not necessary. And a lot of times, you know, puppies small. They don't need that yet. So 12 to 16 weeks is my generalized um, time frame on when we can switch to a martingale collar. But I always want to use that martingale collar and a six-foot regular old nylon, maybe leather leash, but a regular old leash, guys. That's where it's at. Okay, let's keep it simple, right? K-I-S-S, let's keep it simple, guys. All right, um, so look, puppy training is one of those things that I tell people, it's not about overcomplicating it. It's about trusting your gut and knowing what's right, what's wrong, right? Uh, and part of it is also, of course, what your rules are. Your rules are going to be a little different than your next door neighbor's rules uh, with your dog. And look, it's your dog. I do. I teach his own. Teach his own on that. It's your dog. At the same time, 
it's going to take work, time, walks, uh, discipline, structure, rules, boundaries. These are all the things that it takes to create a well-rounded dog. At the end of the day, though, you've got to keep it simple, get out of your own way, correct behaviors you don't like, and reinforce and strengthen behaviors that you do like. Stick to that, and you will have a well-rounded, happy puppy. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? Well, we can help. At The Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Our virtual training programs are catered to you and your pet and create a training plan that gets results. For more information, you can check out our website at www.thenatureoftraining.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. With the ability to connect, teach, and train with pet owners around the world, together we can make a better home for our furry friends. The Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, helping you achieve success with your pet. Speaking of Dogcast, it's time to reflect. Yes, now I want all of you guys out there to sort of reflect. Reflect on yourself and your dog. Maybe the relationship you have with them. What do you think? Is it good? Is it bad? Does your dog rely on you too much? Maybe it has separation anxiety when you leave. Maybe it has anxiety in general. Maybe it barks too much. Maybe it's antsy. Maybe it paces a lot. Maybe it can't be left alone. Maybe it's protective over somebody. What we're going to be talking about today is sort of a reflection of you, a reflection of your dog. I often say that your dogs are act as a mirror, right? They're going to reflect back whatever you give off. A lot of times when my clients have uneasy dogs, I discover my clients themselves are uneasy, If I have a dog who's got severe anxiety issues, I oftentimes find the owners might have the same. It's fascinating to work with animals because while their emotions are simpler than ours, they still have emotions, right? Like we we know that. And so there is this instinctual base that I think every creature on this planet works from, from that emotional side, how deep, how, how much meaning, how much processing, all that, how much reflection, how much self-awareness, that's going to change animal to animal. But there is this common theme of emotions. Now, can we measure and quantify and qualify every single bit? No, no, we can't. We cannot with animals. And anybody who says they can is, well, in my opinion, a fool. Animals can't give us the information to be able to make those decisions, to be able to come to those conclusions. But what they can do is show us through some form of actions, maybe affection, maybe uh, being nice, you know. But that's just it. They can pick up on these emotional cues to some degree. But what happens is, because they're not human beings, these emotions sort of get, well, lost in translation, if you will. And then the dog develops an anxiety, maybe it's separation anxiety or protective over the owner anxiety or whatever the multitude of different things that can displace itself in. Either way, I see this often enough where the dogs are a direct reflection of their owners all the time. 
So I ask you guys, oof, tough, ready for it? Take a moment, step back, look in that mirror that is your dog. What do you see? Do you like what you see? Maybe you want to change what you see. And that's okay. But what I love about working with animals is they can communicate with us in a way that we can't understand and yet we completely understand. You know, I'm going to talk a minute about somebody I used to know. Um, he actually, unfortunately, passed away recently. Um, I had only met him a handful of times, truthfully. Like we weren't good friends or anything. Um, but this man actually touched a lot of people's lives in a lot of ways, and it was, it was quite incredible. And he did it through animals. And, you know, I, it, it's one of those things where you almost can't put words to it in some ways, seeing what he was able to accomplish without being able to fully quantify and qualify it. Uh, he used to work, well, he had his own organization that worked with an exotic animal rescue. And basically what they what he did is he brought veterans, military veterans, people with PTSD, not just veterans, but anybody with PTSD, but mostly he worked with a lot of military vet veterans. And he would bring them to this animal rescue. This animal rescue had big cats. And this was fascinating because he would actually bring people out to the big cats and the big cats acted as a mirror. It actually allowed people to see what they were feeling on the inside in a physical way because the tigers, the cats, the big cats that they used, they were incredible. They would, they would come up to you. If you were not so feeling great on the inside, maybe had some, some trauma, some PTSD, they would come up and react in a different way than they might to someone who doesn't. And it would almost reflect back to that person and let them kind of see it have that moment of breaking down that barrier. And it was incredible to, to, to see this, you know, this connection with animal and person and someone with PTSD and have it help them and have it truly nourish um, their soul, really. I mean, it's, it, there's... And dogs are no different to some degree. They're going to do the same things back to us. The difference is it's a domesticated animal, and I feel the way that it's displaced, the way that that reflection comes back, it's going to look different. Naturally, one, it's a canine, right? Not a, not a feline. Um, but I don't think people look at their dogs often enough as a source of information about themselves. Maybe not ever, right? Maybe people never think of it. Maybe you've never thought to look at your dog as a reflection of you. But they are. Look, there are exceptions to this. If we bring a dog that's a rescue dog in and they came with baggage and that's not necessarily saying you have that bad, right? They already brought that. But I've had cases, I've had instances where people, I mean, they raise a dog from a small puppy and then the dog is a couple years old and trying to bite people and they go, I don't know why on earth it would ever do this. I raised it from a puppy. And whether people like to hear this or not, again, it, it's tough. It's the truth though. It's tough. You did that to your dog. Unless your dog had some traumatizing experience without you, which is most likely just not the case, then you did that to your dog. And I'm not pointing a finger. I'm not, you know, this is, it's just the truth of it. And we have to recognize that. If we want to change the way our dog is, if we want to change the way they're, we have to change the way we are. And so the first step is being able to recognize, you know something? <sighs> Unfortunately, I created these behaviors with my dog. We have to be able to say that, to recognize it, to see it. So I know this is a little bit of a deeper segment today, but this is the side of animals that, 
it's tough for me because when I see an animal that's in a household like this, um, that's like, that's like this, that's like, uh, you know, it's making the dog more anxious. It makes, <laughs> it's funny, right in, right in pops into my head, the, <laughs> the client who influenced the very start of this podcast, very difficult client indeed. And I felt so bad for that dog because we made a lot of, well, I made a lot of progress with that dog. Um, because he was anxious as anything. That poor thing was so anxious and was a little aggressive toward other dogs. And that family was so anxious and so worked up and bam, 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 fighting with each other. And it's like, I feel bad for the dog. This dog can't do a damn thing about its situation. The people can, but they choose not to. They choose to keep living them. They, 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 they themselves, they keep choosing to live in a state of anxiety and stress. And unfortunately, they end up making their dog do the same. Dog doesn't have a choice. So <laughs> look inward, guys. Look inward at yourselves and realize maybe some of these behaviors in your dog are a reflection, small reflection, big reflection, remains to be seen. But it's a reflection of something from you. Does that mean you're an incredibly anxious person? Not necessarily. But maybe you're stressed more than normal. Maybe there's something weighing down in your life. And that's 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 the that's the cool part of it. Your dogs can actually show you, like, maybe you are. Maybe at work, all of a sudden, you've been really stressed out. You haven't been being yourself. You haven't been yourself. You're not happy about that. And maybe you didn't see it. But looking at your dog allows you to. Allows you to kind of go, whoa, you know. Maybe, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm not being myself, and that's not okay. Let's do something about it. So that's the side of it I love, as the dogs can give us great information to be able to make these changes. So next time your dog does something you don't like, next time you have to walk out the door and you can't because you have to go through this whole process because your dog has separation anxiety, or next time you can't answer the front door because the dog loses its mind, or next time you can't walk down the street because your dog aggresses out at other people, or maybe take a step back and go, maybe it's something I am or I'm not doing correctly that's creating this, something I am or I'm not doing that's creating this. Food for thought. But I hope you take some time to reflect. I hope you take some time to listen to your animals, listen to your dog, and see if you can't help make those changes to make your life a little better and your dog's as well. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's the history of Animal Mascots 101. Today, we'll be talking about the University of Tennessee. Now, they were established September 10th, 1794, and the University of Tennessee is located in Knoxville. Now, this school is a little more unique in that they actually technically have two mascots. Yes, they are known as the Tennessee Volunteers, and this is because the state is known as the Volunteer State. This is a reference that dates back to those Tennesseans who volunteered for duty during the War of 1812, the Mexican-American War, and the American Civil War. It was in the early 1900s that the sports teams started being referred to as the Volunteers, but it was not until 1953 that the second mascot made his debut. One of my personal favorites, uh, as much as I kind of hate to admit it as a University of Florida Gator fan, <laughs> might be a little biased, but the second mascot that was introduced in 1953, it was Smokey the Blue Tick Coonhound. And of course, I'm biased because I myself have a blue tick coonhound named Nemo. Definitely wasn't going to name him Smokey. Couldn't do that. Nope, that's 
line drawn there. I'll own, I'll own a blue tick coonhound, you know, <laughs> but I'm not naming him Smokey as a Gator fan. Absolutely not. No. Now the university pep club held a contest to pick a coonhound that would be the live mascot for the college. The winner belonged to Reverend W.C. Bill Brooks with his winning coonhound, Brooks Blue Smokey. Most of the coonhounds since have descended from the original Smokey, and there have now been 11, with Smokey the 10th soon retiring. Now, there have been a few hiccups with the dogs along the way, as to be a little bit expected. Smokey the 2nd was actually dognapped from his home. Yes, this was done by Kentucky uh, by students from the University of Kentucky. They were posing as members of the University of Tennessee Pep Club. Uh, Pep Club then received a postcard telling them that Smokey was perfectly fine, he was alright, and it was all part of a friendly rivalry. Smokey attended the Kentucky team's pep rally until he was returned to the rightful owners at the University of Tennessee. It's kind of amazing, right? Like, Could you imagine that happening today without charges being pressed and whole thing and... Uh, Simpler times. Smokey has had a profound influence on the university as well as the entire state of Tennessee. So much so that in 2019, Smokey the 10th attended a ceremony where Governor Bill Lee signed a declaration stating that the Blue Tick Coonhound is the official dog breed of the state of Tennessee. It's the listener Q&A. The first question today comes from Randy from Asheville, North Carolina. Randy says, when my dog greets people, he goes right for their crotch about 90% of the time. Does not matter if he knows the person or not. I would really like to stop this behavior, but I just can't get him to. What should I do? Great question, Randy. I don't remember. You might be the first person to have asked this. Uh, however, I have run into this before. Um, a couple times, actually, over the years. And yeah, you know, look, we all know it. Dogs greet each other by sniffing. And just like with their crotches, including our own, there's a lot of sweat glands there. There's a lot of scent. There's a lot of information is the way really dogs look at it. There's a lot of information that comes from that area. And that sometimes is why they tend to choose to even do that with a human being. Um, the problem is then it becomes a, a pattern, then it becomes habitual, and then they literally think, hey, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is how I'm supposed to greet a person. Uh, so what you have to do is you have to recondition it. We have to change the pattern, change how they greet people. And look, honestly, the easiest, best way to do it is going to be to leash up your dog when they're going to be greeting people. So if you have people coming over to the house, the first thing you're going to want to do is make sure you leash up your dog because you have to be able to control this and you have to be able to set this up so we can't just go right over and go for the crotch, right? Um, so look, easiest way to do this is going to be, like I said, leash him up, get some treats in a treat pouch, and here's how it's going to go down. You're going to guide him over to the person, and I want the person to kind of put their hand out as opposed to having to have, you know, that way your dog doesn't feel like the first thing they have to sniff in is necessarily the crotch. Putting a hand out can actually help. Um, and you're going to put the, have them put the hand out, and then you're going to let your dog sniff their hand for, I mean, split second. That's it. Split second, and then use the leash, make them turn and walk away back toward you, and then give him a treat and tell him good boy. You're gonna rinse and repeat this quite a few times, okay? And what we're really trying to create is instead of going right for the crotch and sniff, 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 we walk up, we sniff something else for a split second and we turn and walk away. Changes the pattern, changes the physical pattern of how your dog approaches people, okay? 
after a little bit of repetition, a few repetitions with that, you know, split second hellos, we might increase it to like one or two seconds and see what happens. But be ready to redirect him away because if he goes for that crotch, you gotta correct it, redirect away. If he goes for the crotch, you do not want to reward it with a treat even if he redirects away from it. We only want to reward if he doesn't go for the crotch, okay? Um, now the next thing we can also start doing is actually have your guests give your dog a treat right? They may even ask your dog for a sit. That way it sort of redirects their focus, redirects that state of mind as opposed to go to the crotch and look up and get something. And then once they sit, give them a treat, okay? But you've literally, you've to physically repattern this behavior, okay? So that's really all it takes. Be consistent, make sure you leash them up, redirect, reward. Good luck. Next question. This comes from Dawn from Miami, Florida. Dawn says, I have a shepherd puppy and she is chewing everything in sight. She's about six months old and she shreds her toys, destroys furniture, and is now even ripping up some baseboards around the house. Could there be something wrong with her that she would be so intent on doing this? Okay, so uh, first thing, Dawn, we've got a shepherd puppy. No matter what kind, if it's a mix of purebred, doesn't matter. We have a shepherd puppy. There's most likely some working breeds going on mentally with your dog. Um, and look, working breeds want to do just that. They want to work. And if you're not exercising your dog enough, if you're not working your dog mentally enough, if you're not giving them enough to do, they're going to make, you know, something to do for themselves. And they're going to get bored. They're going to make their own games. And usually, a lot of times, it can be destructive. Um, so first, right off the bat, you're probably not exercising your dog enough, Don. You're not going for long enough walks. You're not going for meaningful enough walks. You're not getting your dog mentally engaged. I can tell you that right off the bat. Um, we can also be playing mental games with our dog. We can just do that through obedience training, training tricks, other things. It's all about hitting it from as many angles as we can to get that mental and physical energy down. Of course, we can play with our dogs, take them swimming. Any other kind of physical exercise is going to be a great supplement as well, but we have to make sure we're mentally engaging our dogs, okay? Another thing I wanna say is, look, six-month-old puppy, if they're destroying furniture and they're ripping up baseboards, that means they're having enough time to do that, which means somebody's not watching your puppy. Um, Look, I, I, I don't like to compare humans and, and dogs that much. At the same time, I like to use metaphors for it, if you will. So like you wouldn't let a four-year-old just be unattended in a room by themselves where they could potentially hurt themselves or maybe like a two-year-old. Let's go even younger, right? You're not going to let a two-year-old just hang out in the kitchen by themselves and hoping they don't reach up and grab a knife or a pot or a pan on their head or like, come on, right? Comments. I'm not trying to be mean, Don, but this is a puppy we're talking about, okay? You've got to watch your puppies. You cannot just let them have a free-for-all and think they're going to make the right decisions every time, especially if they're understimulated. Okay, so if your dog has enough time to destroy furniture and rip up baseboards, you're not watching your puppy enough, and that's part of the problem, because you have to tell your puppy that you don't like it when they choose stuff that they shouldn't, right? Uh, another thing is, if look, they're ripping up baseboard furniture. Are you leaving your dog out? Are you not crating your dog, your puppy, when you leave? Because if you're not using the crate, you're missing out. You've got to crate your puppy at night or when you leave because I have a feeling that's probably part of the time that your puppy is destroying things that it shouldn't. So, look, I know not not the bearer of good news here, <laughs> um, but you've really got to take all these things into consideration if you want your puppy to stop destroying things in your home. The answer to today's trivia question, what animal has the largest eyes? It's the giant squid. Yes, they can have eyes that can grow up to 10 inches in diameter, about the size of a dinner plate. 
that'll wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday and you're going to want to check them out. You can follow me on Instagram at speakadogcast. Find my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash speakadogcast or support the show even further by becoming a patron of the show today at patreon.com slash speakadogcast. If you love what you're hearing, do me a favor and take a moment, scroll on down, click that five-star rating or leave me a great review. Click the thumbs up on the YouTube channel. I would greatly appreciate it, guys. I want to thank my patrons, my pup supporter, Regula Wright, and my dog friend, Maureen Crossan. Have a wonderful week, and don't forget to get out there and walk your dog. Thank you.